Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome back, everybody, to the Teamwork Advantage. I am Greg Gregory, your host for the Teamwork Advantage, where we focus in on the major components of teamwork, leadership, and culture, or what I commonly refer to as the TLC of business. I'd like to welcome you back once again. Today, we're fortunate to have with us a guest whose focuses his business in on influence. And in today's environment, working with COVID-19 and dealing with virtual workplaces, um, the way we influence and the way we work and lead changes greatly. Eric Bloom is the founder of OfficeInfluence.com, the best-selling author of the book, Office Influence, Get What You Want from the Mailroom to the Boardroom. And let's face it, folks, today we are working with people at every level of our organization. And I'm sure a lot of us are working with IT and understanding how to get what we want and be able to influence and have IT influence us is powerful. He's a professional speaker, trainer, and executive coach. He's also a former nationally syndicated columnist, a TEDx speaker, recognized as a thought leader on the use of influence in the workplace. He's also past president of the National Speakers Association New England chapter, a certified speaking professional, and various other books that include Productivity Driven Success, Manager Mechanics Tips, and Advice for First-Time Managers, and I'm sure we're going to get into some of those ideas today. Before getting into uh, the speaking and uh, coaching business, Eric was a senior executive at various firms, including Fidelity Investments, Monster.com as well as independent investments. So his little credentials background there gives you a little idea on where we're going today. First off, Eric, welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Thank you and uh, and, uh, thank you for having me on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we're excited here. Um, As you know, we focus in on teamwork, leadership, and customer service and culture, tying all those in together. Because let's face it, when we have the right culture and everything, we start to serve our customers better. Um, And your book on influence, you know, it's in the workplace. And so I'm really curious, what took you in that direction? It was a couple of things, you know, is that my company, we had training. I'm a training company by background. And Mm -hmm. we had training in multiple different different, uh, disciplines, including negotiation, uh, difficult employees, you know, that whole range of things, managing virtual teams and so on. Mm -hmm. And I found that as time went on, we also had a class called Leading Through Influence is that in each of the other classes, I started infusing influence-based techniques into them. For example, what's negotiation? It's basically to interactive influence, me influencing you to be in the con- uh, get what I want in the contract and vice versa. Mm-hmm. What's uh, conflict resolution? It's me convincing you to not be mad at me or me convincing two people on my team or others to work together and not be mad at each other. Mm-hmm. So as a result, what I found was in really every interpersonal activity and interaction is influence could play a role to make it just a little bit better. So over time, as I started doing that, what I really realized was that influence is really the tip of the spear on all different types of interpersonal interaction. Absolutely. One of the things I bring up in a lot of my uh, talks is I ask a question, who's in sales? Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of times I'm not speaking to sales organizations. So 
very few hands will go up. And then I look at them and say, aren't we all in sales? Because we're, we, we have to work on influence. And then uh, one of our colleagues, uh, Jeffrey Gittimer, has been known to say, and I love this statement, everyone loves to buy, but no one wants to be sold. And when we've got the right level of influence working with people, then we're getting that win-win scenario. And I think Absolutely. that's, I think that's what your, your whole point is in working at it. Yeah. So let's talk for a minute. Let's hit, let's hit the big one. Uh, you know, working virtually right now, we're still mm -hmm. in a pandemic environment. Uh, I live outside of Washington, DC. You're up in New England. Uh, I'm assuming the traffic and people are still working from home. My question is, how is it different virtually influencing people and keeping employees engaged and managing virtually today as it was, you know, eight, nine months, a year ago. Okay, let me break that into two parts. I'll start about uh, talking about management uh, okay. in general, managing your team. And then I'll talk specifically about the influence component, if that works okay. for you. Okay, that works. Is that uh, when, when you're managing a team, whether it be virtual or what I like to call co-located, is the best practices are the same. You still have to delegate well. You have to uh, have transparency as a leader. You have to make decisions. You have to motivate your team. All of those things that you learn in general management and leadership type classes. The difference is, is that when you do it virtually, I like to refer to it as best practices management on steroids. The reason is, is you still have to do the same things, follow mm -hmm. the same principles, all of those guidelines that make a person a great manager or leader anyway but you have to be much more deliberate about it. Because, uh, you know, like for example, Greg, let's say that, uh, that you worked for me and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I really gotta get in touch with Greg sometime today. I see you walk down my office or walk down the hall. If we're in the same location, what do I do? I look up and say, hey, Greg, you got a minute? Yep. You got a minute? Yep. Uh, well, I can't do that if I'm in my house and you're in your house. So as a result, I have to be much more deliberate from that perspective. Um, also is, is that some of the things you do need to change, for example, tasks. Uh, now this time I'll make you the manager. How's that? So let's okay. say now I work for you. You're fired. Uh, <laughs> wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so let's say that I work for you and typically what you would do is you would assign a task to me, say it's to, uh, you know, whatever it is, but it's about say a three week task. Right. You know, as you're coming out of your office and seeing my cube or office or whatever it is, you can see that I'm sitting there working away at my keyboard. I'm on the phone. You can catch a couple of words of it walking away. You know that I'm doing my job and you can sort of tell that it's going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Or if not, when we get coffee at the same time, just serendipitously, is, is that you can say, hey, Eric, how's it going? I can say, oh, I'm doing this. Oh, don't, maybe don't do it that way, Eric. Maybe you want to talk to, you know, Peter, Paul and Mary instead of Mo, Larry and Curly. I think it'll point you in the right direction. Great analogy, students, by the way. I like for that. For any three stooges in the fan, I'll say, fan, uh, you know, here I'll say, certainly, you know what I mean. But, uh, but anyway. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, is those, you know, little sort of micro direction changes can happen by default just because right. we're physically there. Right. So when you manage people, like, for example, delegation in a virtual world, what you need to do is you would assign it to me in smaller chunks. So certainly we could, should be touching mm -hmm. base more often. But the thing is, is if instead of giving me a three-week task, if you can give me a task that has two artificial deadlines in it at week one and week two also, mm -hmm. then, um, you know, not because you don't trust me or any of that. Right. It's just that, you know, if I'm going off this way, trying to do my very best, and you want me going off in a different direction, is better we know. earlier rather than later. Yeah. yeah. Now, in, now uh, let me ask you this question directly relating to that. Sure. 
how much does behavior styles and personality come into play with that? Because I know that there are some styles who, well, like myself, and I'll be, I'll put myself out there. Uh, I, I bounce all over the place and sometimes I need to be reeled back in. So that's how I am in a normal life. Do you see that that's accentuated maybe more in a virtual world or not? Oh, absolutely it is. Okay. Uh, and the, re the reason is, in fact, the, 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 certainly there's DISC and predictive index and other things that mm -hmm. will assess who you are as a person. Right. So the sitting on top of that, I've actually done research that I include in, uh, uh, in well, uh, classes of mine on managing virtual teams. Uh, but what it is, is it's the uh, uh, introverted and extroverted, the different roles that they play right. um, based on working virtually. And interestingly, and there's research behind it, someone from a psychologist from Switzerland in the early 1900s on, um, on extroversion, and one from Wellesley College here in Massachusetts, where I reside, uh, on four types of introversion. Just so happens that they both happen to have four. But the thing is, is who you are as a person, combined with the task that you've been given, and your, your home or work environment, together really decides what, how managers should delegate to, to their team and assign tasks. Right. So for example, let's say that uh, um, I'm very extroverted by nature. You know, I love to be around people. You know, I'm just sort of, you know, uh, that I, I love it to be able to throw ideas by everyone, you know, and so on. And let's say that I live alone. And, um, you know, and it's the, you know, just because of the COVID stuff going on right now. And you assign me a task that's very, very solitary to get done. Well, I'm going to be bouncing off the walls because that just doesn't work for me. Right. Um, now, let's say that same situation, but instead of me living alone, I'm here with, say, my wife, four kids, two dogs, a cat, and I live on a street, you know, right next to the hospital. So the ambulances are always going by. So I'm getting lots of, uh, you know, external, um, you know, input from just other people and other things around me. That same task might work well. So the big variable in working, in working virtually uh, from a personality perspective is you have to also consider not only the personality to the, to the task, but also their current environment tied to the task and their personality. That's, so that's really key. Mm -hmm. That's key to recognize their environment. So in doing that, how do you, do you recommend that people, especially managers at this point, have more... Um, casual conversations, casual meetings with uh, their team as a whole or even as an individuals? What do you recommend for that? You know, um, definitely. Because what, what happened, in fact, I, what I find a lot in talking to firms is that they're doing all the Zoom thing and they're talking to all their clients, you know, all their people in their team, but it's all sort of orchestrated and formal. So what happens is, is that people miss those hallway conversations walking down the hall to the meeting together things along that line. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things about it, one of which is like, for example, uh, well, looking at your background right now, you okay. know, is that, uh, you know, I don't, I, I see a picture and I can't quite see exactly what it is, but it looks like uh, one of your kids or something. I can't quite make it out. This one right here? Yeah. That is my late wife and she was a Baltimore Colts cheerleader. Okay. So now Yes, the, I said Baltimore Colts, everybody. I heard that actually. Wow. Bringing <laughs> me back to my youth on that too. I'm a big football fan. But I'm sorry to hear, let me say. But uh, thank you. Um, but anyway, is, is that things that will show in your office, that's something that you may or, not have, may or may not have had co-located in your office wall at, at your office. Mm. So as a result, there's a really interesting thing that all of this working from home 
gives people a window into other people personally that you wouldn't have otherwise seen. So that's another way to view it. But also, I know a company, and what the, what the manager does there is once a month, he has a, a, monthly sta a monthly staff meeting in addition to his daily stand-ups and a weekly. And mm -hmm. there's only one rule for that monthly staff meeting. Nobody can talk about work. Okay. So it's what's going on with your kids, what's your favorite sports team, what's yep. going on in your neighborhood, you know, well, what's your favorite hobby. And what yep. that does is that really per tries to personalize it, to bring people together. That's exactly. especially important when new people are hired. Yeah. Now, we had a guest on our podcast uh, several weeks ago, CEO of an IT company, mm -hmm. and they have about 30, 50 employees. And what he does twice a year something similar, but twice a year, he shuts his office down completely and they have what's called a spirit day. And they invite their clients if they want to come over, their customers, everybody comes over and they sometimes go out to a park or something else and just have a spirit day to have fun with everybody. And again, no work allowed. Absolutely. You know, people minimize, and this is going to sort of tie back to influence too, mm -hmm. is that, you know, they see two, um, an executive comes out, sees two people talking in the hallway or whatever it is. And they're not talking about business. You know, a natural business inclination would be is you're spending half the money, uh, you know, half the meeting talking about, the, you know, the, your two kids are on the same soccer team. You know, how about getting to tats? Well, the right. thing is, is it, building those personal experiences and a personal connection to people uh, builds trust. And that trust then from there enhances teamwork it, hands, yes. it enhances the ability to influence each other and so on. You know, it's funny, sales is that uh, I was never a sales, well, it's funny, I've always been a salesperson, yet never been a salesperson, right. you know, to, to what you had mentioned, uh, is that, the, you know, the number one thing that you see, and I never understood this until I studied these last, this last decade plus on influence and so on. You know, you talk to a good salesperson, what do they do? They don't go right to, you know, hey, will you buy my product? They say, oh, you know, I see that you're wearing uh, some type of sports team. Oh, do you like that team? You know, and so on. What they're doing is, is among other things, is they're building rapport and getting you to know them a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and then from there is then that builds a little bit more of a trusted relationship and so on that allows a transaction to, to be facilitated. To, to organically develop. Yes. Yeah. It's funny you bring that up that way because uh, I've been looking uh, at possibly picking up either a retirement home or a second home. Mm -hmm. And I went to one of these pre-COVID situations, uh, literally about less than a month before. Mm -hmm. And I would walk up to people and they say, you know, our community development has golf. It does this, it does this, it does this. They never bothered to ask me what I liked. Yeah. And it's like, I don't golf. <laughs> and the first words out of their mouth were golf. Yeah. It's like, you know, so they've lost a the trust. They've lost everything. They've lost the ability to influence me. Absolutely. The best thing that they could have done was they could have said, hey, let me introduce you to Joe and, and Mary mm -hmm. and Amy and Steve that all live here. Mm -hmm. You know, and have if they, you know, yeah, in that situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or just come right out and ask, what's important to you when you look for a new place? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, is that uh, I, I, I was always, as you know, and earlier in my career, I came out of the IT world where we had the answers, you know, and that didn't necessarily ask the questions. It's how do we build this system? How do we do that? So, you know, when I first started my company, again, about a dozen years or so ago, a little more than that now, um, is that my VP of sales that I brought in, uh, you know, she was actually a very 
heavily uh, experienced salesperson, sales executive, I should say. Right. And every time we left a sales call, you know, I was the subject matter expert and I was the president of the company, so I was the one talking, is every time we left the meeting, she would tell me the three or four reasons that she would have fired me if I worked for her. <laughs> and it was things like, you know, I would start talking before asking questions, or even worse, I would continue to talk after the sale was made. So all of these things, you know, I joke about, you know, whenever I teach influence or, you know, or whatnot, is everything that, uh, that you know, I provide information on now, whether talking or speaking, could easily be renamed. What Eric Bloom should have known in his 20s, 30s, and 40s, that would have saved him a lot of time and aggravation. Oh, I think we all know that. We Absolutely. all have that. Yes, if I knew then, if I knew then what I know now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, a couple of days ago when we were first chatting about getting together on the, on this uh, podcast, you know, you were talking and mentioned something about in the, the independent research you did. Tell me yeah. a little bit more about uh, your research you did for the book and uh, you know, what all came out of that? Okay. Uh, over a course of years. And, and uh, what I did was I came up with different attributes that would either positively or negatively affect people's ability to influence others in the workplace. Okay. Uh, the book actually has 76 of them, but now in assessments and the, the training that we do, we've brought it down to, um, to 53. But 53, the that's a lot still, okay. But what they're, they're basically broken into five categories. And then for, after that, I'll explain sort of the research behind it. Mm -hmm. um, but what those categories are, it's who you are as a person. Are you trustworthy? Do you have some humbleness? Are you respectful of other people? So it's sort of that category of sort of the, the who you are internally. Then there's the external you, which is, do you lead by example? Do you keep your promises? Things along that line. So it's sort of personal internal and personal external. Mm -hmm. And by the way, because it only makes sense in influencing other people, it's what other people believe and observe in you. It's what they're perceiving more so than what you're projecting. Yes. In other okay. words, is that I may think I'm very trustworthy. I might believe that I'm trustworthy. I might be very trustworthy. But if I did something and you didn't, you know, just even by accident that you didn't feel was particularly trustworthy, mm -hmm. you know, what happens is your perception is your reality and that I'm not trustworthy in your eyes. Right, right. Uh, the third category is your credentials. Uh, so that's, you know, your, your degrees, your certification, your experience, any, you know, um, you know, national or industry awards you've received, things along that line. Mm -hmm. um, the fourth is your ability to communicate. Because if I can neither write well nor speak well and so on, it's going to be really hard for me to influence you on my point of view. Active listening, by the way, falls in that also. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, so does passive listening. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, uh, one of the best pieces of advice I received from my mother that worked for me professionally is she said, she said to me my whole life is that, uh, you know, God gave you two ears and one mouth. You should listen twice, twice as much as you talk. I uh, had a VP in the mortgage business tell me that very same thing years and years <laughs> ago, those exact words. Yeah, I gave you two ears, two eyes and one mouth to do twice as much listening and watching as you do speaking. Absolutely. And, and, and I also, there's a great quote. I think it's by Jim Williamson in sales. He says, the sign of a great salesperson is someone who's a good listener. I totally agree. Totally agree. That's something that I needed to learn when I was really, you know, I mean, as head of my business, I, like you said, I do sales. I'm an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. It's part of my business. The fifth area is your business skills. Can you negotiate conflict resolution? Um, the ability to define vision, those things that you would think of as leadership and interpersonal connection. 
So it's those five things that make up the, what are these 53 attributes, a few under each of those categories. Right. That's so what I did was is I did a, um, a, sur uh, a survey and research in cooperation with the University of Northern Colorado and had, you know, thousand plus, you know, the more, more than that, basically asking everyone the qu a question on the same question on each of these 53, at 53 attributes is that um, when you're, when someone is trying to influence you, how important is this, uh, is this particular attribute to you? So in other words, do, uh, um, do, if I think you're humble, does that help or hurt your ability to influence me? You know, if I think that you are, that you actively listen or that you lead by example or whichever one of these it is, is that am I more or less likely to be, to, to that to come into play on whether I should believe what you're telling me and be able to influence me in a certain direction? Okay. It was fascinating. The, you now, know, the, I, here, were there any surprises there? Uh, actually, there were. Okay. Um, you know, the, uh, the biggest surprise wa um, was, uh, and I have to set the stage for this too, <laughs> is um, your certifications, certifications and credentials. So that's both the university that you went to or a credential you have. For example, the, the story I'll tell you is regarding, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, PMP, Project management. Yes, project, yes, yes. It's, it's an incredible organization, an incredible certification for project managers. But anyway, the research was just done. And then part of my keynotes, what I do is I let everyone else take this research themselves or take the survey themselves. And then I report to them, you know, in the uh, in my keynote, not only the uh, the full research, but also how their particular niche, their profession, what was important to them. So in both back to the idea of a surprise was not only at the aggregate level, but for the project management group. And remember, I have a very tight definition. In the workplace, what allows you to be influenced by others? Okay. Certifications were right down at the bottom of the list. They were like number 51 of 53. And here I am, the first time I'm presenting this research, and it's to a group that is primarily all has these certifications. And they answered it the same way. So I went in there and, and, and you know, they said, and then the, I, I didn't, you know, it was on the sheet, but I didn't really, I was really afraid to say this. Uh, but then, you know, I said, they said, what, you know, we had a certain, you know, we all have certifications. Where do they come in? And I said, to be honest, they were really at the bottom of the list. And, um, you know, uh, then I, I was really curious with that and also college degrees. So what I did was some anecdotal research, including some of the people that were in the room. And what okay. I heard was something fascinating. Whereas certifications, or you can add sort of college degrees to those kind of credentials. Right, right. Why they, they're of enormous value. I mean, like, I'll just pick on the PMP because I'm, you know, I'm talking about it there, but the same would go for college. The things you learn, the people you know, how it keeps you up on your industry, the credentials help you get the job. But at the end of the day, when, you know, I'm in this cube and you're in that cube, nobody cares where you went to college and nobody cares what certifications, degrees, or, you know, special awards you've received. Right. Is that, do I think you can do the job? So it was that, I was really surprised that that was very low on the list. But when I understood it, you know, how people said it, said it from that perspective is, is that that made really good sense. The other one that really surprised me was budget. Budget okay, was well, the, before we before we oh, get to budget, yes. let's let's talk about that other one for a second. They're putting that attribute really low to have all the certifications, the degrees, and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yet, when organizations go to hire, there are so many places right now that are flat out saying you must have this, mm -hmm. 
And is that realistic? Now, I understand a lot when I go and talk to folks about hiring, you know, you want to find the least common denominator. What's the least level skill set that you must have? You know, and I use an example of a registered nurse, somebody who comes in with a light, an LPN certification is not going to qualify. Mm-hmm. I, I totally get that. But everybody else is looking for all these exceptional degrees or exceptional things. What is it there? Why, why is there such that gap that they say they need this, but then they, once they're in, they say it's not important? Oh, well, what I'm saying is, remember, I'm taking a very thin slice of it. If I'm being influenced by you, will I be more influenced? Now, if we know each other, as they say, okay. uh, familiarity breeds contempt. You know, uh, if you've ever met anyone who's, say, gone to a top Ivy League school and go, wow, this person went to Harvard or Yale or Stanford right. or MIT or wherever they went. And then you talk to them for 10 minutes and it's like, I don't know, they must just be really smart. Is where they went then becomes diminished. Right. Now, don't okay. get me wrong. Certifications uh, and, and, and like college degrees are of enormous importance. Let me switch to the college one first. Okay. It's the program you took. It's the knowledge you gained. It's the, uh, the business contacts that you met at kid, as kids who are now in senior executive roles themselves, you know, around the world. Right. I mean, there's enormous value to these, but specifically from influencing someone in, a, in the workplace. If I know you, you know, it might be a little impressive to know that you went to Harvard or you have a PHP or whatever it might, a, P, uh, um, a PMP or whatever it might be. My technical background came out. I know that. I said PHP. <laughs> uh, but anyway, is, uh, uh, you know, is, but at the end of the day, if I work, if I work with you a lot and I get to know you, um, my ability to be, or your ability to influence me will be based much heavier, more heavily on our interaction and who I think you are as a person than okay. where you went to school 30 years ago. Okay, got it. So, so on, a, on, an initial, on an initial uh, meeting, the credentials mean a lot more, but as you get to know somebody, they, they get diminished. Absolutely. Like, for example, okay. uh, after my MBA, I went to work for Booz Allen. You can tell by the color of my hair that was a thousand years ago. All right. I would have never gotten the job there if I didn't have the credential and the training, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. You know, but the thing is, is that uh, once I'm working with people, even then, you know, like in the 80s, is that uh, if they work for me for a couple of, on a couple of projects and they thought that I messed it up, they don't care where I went to school. They don't want to work with me. Right. Right. So that's what I mean by, again, that thin focus. That's why I want to make sure we got a good clarification there because that that was important. So you mentioned the budget. So let's talk about the budget. Okay. I had always thought, and I've been sort of a budget, you know, a a cost center manager myself and had the budget, you know, as you know, in business, sometimes it's your budget you're using. Some people it's others, you know, have it. I always thought that budget, if you're the one who had the money, you're the one who held the, I'll, I'll just do this once, purse strings. Uh, that you're the one who really has a lot of control over things. Now, what I found in the workplace, it was really interesting because that one was, that, 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 that was so low. I actually now moved that to a situational influence and I pulled it out of the 53 attributes. It was, okay. you know, and, you know, then again, anecdotally, you know, you get this research back. It was very different than I thought. So then I called a number of the people that were on the survey and said, hey, how did you do this one? And so on. And what came back there was fascinating also is if you have the budget, you can say no. But just because you have the money in your budget doesn't mean you can get other people to say yes. Okay, wait a minute. Let, let's, okay. that's deep. That's, that's deep on me here. Let's, <laughs> let's go back. Let's say, let's say that again. Okay. Is let's say that I have a lot of money in my budget. Right. 
uh, could be a marketing budget. I'll, I'll pick marketing budget. Okay. I have a lot of money in the marketing budget. And I think that the best way we should spend that money is this way. I have the budget. And let's say that you're the head of sales. And you go, well, that's not going to work because it's not going against the people that I need to, uh, that I need to, that I'm selling to. So there's a situation like that where there's a disconnect conceptually Got it. what I want to do with the money and what you want me to do with the money. Now you could come to me and say, Hey, do it on this topic. And I could say, it's my budget. No, I'm not going to. And then I have full authority to say no, but I might not get you to buy into what I'm going to want to do just because I'm the one who has the budget. Okay. That's, that's really strong to recognize because now we're into uh, not just the area of teamwork, but you're into hardcore collaboration up and down uh, the spectrum. Yes. Yeah. So the big takeaway there for, you know, your listeners is that just because you have the money in the budget, don't think that you're, you know, calling all the shots. No. You can no. say, no, I won't spend it. You can always do that, but you can't get other people who have their own budget and other things and are in other. Say, I'm going to cut this way. Yeah. You need to influence them in other ways in mm -hmm. order to get their buying. Yeah. So let, let's take a step back a little bit and let's look. One of your books was um, called uh, Manager Mechanics, Tips and Advice for First-Time Managers. Yes. Okay. 15 years ago, being a first-time manager was one thing. 15, year, 15 weeks ago, it was something entirely different. Now, I, I want, let me ask you this question. In, in your research and what you've learned over the years, mm -hmm. why do most people get their first-time management leadership position? Why do they get it? Because they're the best individual, mostly it's because they're the best individual contributor in the bunch. Right. The best salesperson becomes the sales manager. Right. The best techie becomes the IT manager. And uh, what's, what's the challenge with that? The challenge is, is that I like to, if I may bring it into sort of the IT space. Okay. Let's say, for example, that, uh, that you're, the, you're the top techie in the group. Mm -hmm. I would come to you and say, uh, hey, Greg, congratulations. As you know, the, uh, the current manager left. Well, what I'd like to do is I'd like to move you into a new position that you didn't go to school for that all of the things that make us really like you, none of that really applies to this new role. Um, you have no prior education of it, and the experience you have doesn't prepare you for the new job that I'm going to put you into. Congratulations and welcome to management. Oh, and by the way, the reason the job opens is we put someone in that job about a year ago. You know what? Their experience was a lot like yours, and they failed miserably, and we had to fire them. So the best techie becomes the manager. I mean, in, in most professions, whatever techie is, accounting, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, it's because they did the job well. Yes. But they've and never been taught how to manage multiple projects, multiple teams, or how to lead people. Absolutely, absolutely. And okay. it's, that, uh, it's that, that difference between the, in their new role now as a management role, where it's really all soft skill, leadership, management, delegation, performance reviews, doing a budget. None of that stuff you're doing when you're the individual contributor. Right. So as so, a result, a lot of people are set up for failure in that regard. Right. Oh, and I, I absolutely understand that. That, that was my first leadership role uh, back in the uh, mid-80s in the, in the mortgage world. So I totally understand it. So what advice would you give somebody today who is in their first management role? What should they be doing today? 
whether it's a COVID environment remotely or not, what's the best advice you could give somebody? Okay, is be open to learn things that are more soft skill leadership and business oriented, particularly if they're in a technical role. Like for example, I have undergrads in accounting and computer information systems. I was told ah, psychology, active listening, what do I want that for? I've been listening to people since the day I was born, okay? And it, to the fact that when you're in a, again, that technical role could be mortgage sales, it could be anything, mm -hmm. is you're told that the best way to grow professionally is to get deeper in your subject matter expertise, whatever that might be. It could be, can be computer programming, it could be writing marketing copy, it could be anything. And then to those, then those things that connect to it. So for me, I was a programmer. So, you know, software developer. And then what okay. I did was I became a database administrator. I grew this way to expand okay. my expertise. Right. When you step into a management role, all of those things that you just discarded as not important are now the most important things related to your success. You know, don't, you know, take a class in, you know, uh, active listening, emotional intelligence, general leadership, you know, most mm -hmm. good companies of any size is mm -hmm. they have all of these classes available to you. That, you know, that they've basically been ignoring because they're taking the class on, you know, related to their expertise rather than leadership, management, delegation, mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Be yeah. a voracious reader, a voracious listener. I would say, given the nature of your podcast, what I'd say is they should go back and watch every one of your episodes. You know, and, and other plug there. <laughs> I didn't, well, you didn't, he didn't tell me to say that. I'm saying it because I totally believe it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you know, read books on leadership, on all of this other stuff, because right. what you need to do is, you know, you need to change what your profession is. Because yeah. now if you're a manager, you're in a people profession. You're not in whatever that was that you were doing as your individual contributor to God. Exactly. And that, that's so powerful to hear. And uh, that's been echoed with different people in different fashions throughout the podcast. Um, organizations that really get into that. For example, one of the things I always tell people is don't always expect your company to necessarily pay for you to take the training either. Okay. You've yes. got to take responsibility for yourself. Yes. And there's a great course um, Dale Carnegie offers, mm -hmm. you know, the how to win friends and influence people, which is, I don't know, it's been around for just a few years, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> as we say sarcastically, absolutely. Um, people that have gone through that have come out of that on the other side being extremely focused. Now, it's not a cheap course. You can't expect, you can't feel entitled that somebody else is going to pay for it. That's, that's key. And, uh, absolutely. Now, yeah. in fact, can I can extrapolate on what you just said there? Okay, please. As an employee, and I can say this because you can pick on your own, I was like this, is that as an employee, your condition that all of your professional uh, training and things like that is going to be paid for by the company. It's going to be reimbursed for an MBA or something like that, but mm -hmm. like technical programs, Carnegie, you know, like the uh, Dale Carnegie class, which I also think is excellent. But basically is the company pays for it. They provide training. Why? Because you're an employee. That's what they do. And most employees, and I was just like this way when I was an employee too, so I can say it, won't spend a nickel on their own professional development whether it's to uh, hire a career coach, whether it's to take a sales class if you're not in sales, because it will help me pitch my project better. Yep, investing, it's interesting. Investing in yourself beyond just a college degree into professional things, or at least watch YouTubes that are free. Yeah. You know, invest your time and your money and your effort 
and your mind share uh, in your own career development, and it will accelerate it dramatically over time. Oh, it's going to compound. It's, it's just like compounding for your retirement accounts. It's interesting you say that, uh, Eric, because your background, and I was an employee in the mortgage banking business, um, and I got to tell you, other than maybe an annual meeting, that was about it. Every other training that was done for me to grow and develop, I paid for out of my own pocket, and I knew I had to. You were smart enough to do that. I wasn't. And maybe it's the fact that I came through that sales side of things. It was a 100% commission business. I don't know. Oh, okay. Okay. There were certain parts there, but it was still an employee situation. Mm -hmm. Um, I always tell people, you know, one of the powerful tools I learned was from my high school principal. And on my blog, I've got the story about this. So I'm not going to go into it here, but 10 little words of success. Each word has just two letters and one syllable. If it is to be, it is up to me. I like that. And I listened to that from my time I was in high school, and that has just been the core foundation for everything. I love that. Yeah. It's, It's just an incredible program to understand how powerful that is. What you just said is to continue to take that education. What's that other expression? The uh, um, God helps those who help themselves. Yes. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. As we get ready to wrap up here a little bit, um, tell us just a couple of your quick things in general for people today in the COVID environment, remote working. What's, what's some of the things, what's the top three things you might recommend for just being able to influence others around them and not, I guess, go stir crazy. Absolutely. Uh, what I would say is be a thought leader. And by that, I mean an, uh, a information distributor. Uh, this builds um, reciprocity. It builds your own brand. So for an example of this is, let's say, Greg, I know you're interested in things related to teamwork. So let's say I get a, um, a great white paper that comes to me. I don't even know how I got on the mailing list for the thing. You know, it's like, you know how you do the delete, delete, delete on all this mail that you, you know, email that you're getting unsolicited. Oh yeah. So maybe just before I hit the delete key, I say, Ooh, you know, it has something to do with collaboration and teamwork. You know, I take a two second look at it. All right. Just to see that it seems like it's reasonable. And what I do before I delete it, I said, Hey, Greg, I saw this and thought of you, bang, send it off, then delete it. What did it cost me to find that research? Nothing. I don't even know how I got it. But because I sent it to you, if it is a value, then that's awesome. I'm helping a friend. But mm-hmm. if it's not a value, at least it has you, you know, um, it causes you to know that I'm thinking about it. Okay. So those little touches with other people are of great value. Um, the next one is take, take on the logistics. What I mean by that is let's say that there is a company meeting, for example, and there's you and five of your peers at some sort of, sort of cross department thing that's going on. Um, you know, be the one to say, you know what, you know, I'll get the, uh, uh, I'll set up the Zoom session. I'll, fi- you know, I'll, I'll send out the calendar lead to find out when everyone's mm-hmm. available. You know, uh, I'll, you know, uh, my assistant will take care of the notes. Because if you take all of the logistics, you know, and this works in person as well as virtually. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, is if you take all the logistics, two great things are happening from an influence perspective. The first of which is, is if, are you familiar with Tuckman's, um, you know, four stages of team development? 
You know, yeah, I call it the matriculation stage, yes. Many may know them as forming, storming, storming norming, norming, and performing. And performing. Well, what happens when you are when you get a number of people you're working together with, you know, in a uh, across uh, a cross functional team, that's a team, and yes. it can create norms. So if you're the one who is saying, uh, "Hey, you know what? Uh, you know, I'm going. Uh, everyone, all right? I'll find a time when we'll all do it together." Yes, Eric, that's great. Hey, uh, I'll send out the meeting invite. That good? Yes, Eric, that's great. That once what we're doing is we're developing a norm. We're I'm leading. I'm saying things, and you're saying yes. So as a result, is that norm is just lightly created for the number of us. Right. That uh, when it then comes time for something in that meeting that I want to do or I want to influence people, there are two things to my advantage. One of which is, is that the norms have been set that I'm the one who's driving the show and getting people to agree with me. And secondly is reciprocity. Nobody else wanted us set up the meetings, you know, send out the emails, set up the Zoom session. So, you know, they all feel like they owe me a little bit of a favor. So the right. combination of those two of culture, as you had said, plus reciprocity is very powerful. Right. And that comes um, back in and down the road because it's another avenue of experience. I often use the phrase volunteer for tasks outside of your immediate area of expertise. Yes. Now, also, if these people are your peers, and then I'll give you my favorite piece of advice. Okay. If these people are your peers, then when it comes time to getting promoted, what do you do? You're promoted from where you are to above your peers. So if you are seen by senior management as the one that everybody's listening to and coming to you to coordinate, yes. it makes you a sort of part of the natural selection for promotion. Right. Yeah. Now, my, my favorite piece of advice, and I'm paying this forward, you know, Greg, another one we were talking, I think it was before we were on camera, um, is that, uh, you know, great advice you've gotten from other people. Mm -hmm. One of the, the best, so I'm paying forward the piece of great advice I was given probably, well, it's when I first started my company in 2009, um, is that when you're in, whether it's a meeting, uh, whether you're watching a podcast, this is, you know, anyone who's interviewing should be watching you, Greg, because you're great at this and you're sort of interviewing me for this as you do others. Right. Whether you see someone give a presentation and you go, wow, that presentation was great. Oh, wow, this meeting ended on time. Oh, wow, I hate when I'm in a meeting with, you know, with Joe because it's always a, a train wreck and 40 <laughs> minutes into it, we're still figuring out what the agenda is. All right, don't only be, certainly you're in these interpersonal situations, but as a participant, you're negotiating with someone, you're sitting in the meeting, you're watching the presentation, you're listening to the speaker, et cetera. So certainly be a participant. That's why you're there. But also always be an observer. Take a second set of notes related to what that person did well, what they did poorly, and use those techniques to enhance your own craft in whether it be influencing people, giving presentations, negotiating. So let's say as an example, let's say, Greg, you and I are negotiating over something. Something really, really important, uh, like you have a small table at a yard sale for $8 and I want to buy it, okay? Um, and, you know, that, that I go there and I say, well, you know, uh, I really like it. I'm only going to give you $5 for it kind of thing. You take five and you say to me, well, you know, this table goes really well with these chairs and with this. And before I know it is I'm walking, I gave you 50 bucks and I'm walking away with a trunk full of stuff. Yep. It might be stuff that I want and it might be good for me and all that. But when I get in the car, I should think to myself, I should say, gee, you know, I, I wanted to give him $5 for a table. I walked away with 50 bucks worth of stuff. How did he do it? And if I can analyze how you did that to me, then I can use it to enhance my, uh, my ability in negotiation, in sales and presentation, et cetera. 
So mm -hmm. always pay attention to the things you love and that you don't love and add them into your own craft. Right. That's exactly how I got started in speaking. I uh, followed the great Zig Ziglar oh. Oh. and <clears throat> modeled him and listened to him and Tom Hopkins and Nito Clobane, some of the great orators. Um, and I got things that I really liked and I saw others that they did things I didn't like. So it's all on how we build. Absolutely. Eric, it has been absolute pleasure. Again, I want to recap here real quickly. You had your 53 attributes were broken into five categories. Yes. And it was basically the who, which is the internal you. Then you've got the external you, your credentials and your credibility, the ability to communicate, and then your overall business skills. Did I get those right? Absolutely. Yes, you did. Good. Because those five key areas, if we can master those five areas, then you are on your way to having successful influence in every aspect of your life. Well said. And again, I appreciate the time you've given us here on the Teamwork Advantage. Join us again next week when we have another great uh, uh, leader, thought leader, exhibitor of powerful, absolutely powerful ideas on how to be a better team member, how to be a better leader, and how to have great culture as well as how to inspire and perform yourself. Remember, having a good day is only being average. Make sure you make it an awesome day because you're not average. Eric, once again, thank you very much for joining us on the Teamwork Advantage and everybody here, make sure you have a great day. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.